You can pray for me today. After this, I will get in my helicopter to go do a wedding. And by helicopter, I mean black Honda Odyssey. Um, But yeah, so it's a long day for me, but a good day nonetheless. Uh, We will be in Hebrews starting in chapter 3 in verse 15. I'll pray for us and we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day and we are your people. Help us to rest in who you are, God. You rested from your work at the foundations of the earth and you have invited us into your mighty rest. Life is hard. Some of us come in here because life is hard. Life was hard for some of us this week. We live in a culture right now that Lord tells us it's not, but it is. You know that it's hard and that's why you invite us into your rest. Help us to rest today, God. Help us to rest in your cross and your resurrection. We love you, Jesus, so much. Pray these things for your glory and for our joy. And in your name, Jesus Christ, amen. Uh, So we will be in chapter 3, starting in verse 15. We currently live in a culture that's sort of a self-help kind of culture, a sort of uh, give me some steps and I will do the things that will make my life better, show me how to build a framework for my life, and I will just do the things that I need to do, and everything will be fine. We live in a strange kind of activist culture that way, and I mean activist, not, uh, not positively like doing good things in the world, but I mean we are a people who think that we, ha- we can engineer the doing of our life, and that will make everything okay, and it's usually centered on us. The doing of our life is usually fix me, change me, do me, help me, help me climb the corporate ladder, me, 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 me. And it centers around the self and around me. And and honestly, we can kind of have a tendency, I think, both within the church and and outside the church to have a just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Just tell me what to do and I'll get to work. Um, Now, I'm, I'm pro the doing stuff of church. I'm into being God's people. I'm into loving one another and doing that work. I'm into uh, uh, living on Jesus' mission and doing the work of telling people about who he is that they would come to know him. I'm into doing the stuff of communion and baptism. There's stuff that I'm into doing, but I think if it's not rooted in Jesus and ultimately what he's done, we will miss why we're doing anything and how we're supposed to do anything and the strength that we have to do anything. And I think if we take Hebrews seriously about rest today. Uh, It will subvert that sense of engineering and structuring life and the doing. And to be honest with you, if we take seriously the rest that we have in Christ and we take seriously what Jesus has to say to us today, I believe that will stoke in us such a passion for him that I can't stop you from doing stuff. But you'll do it first and foremost because of what Jesus has done, not just to do some stuff. We can do lots of stuff. But without Jesus, we can't do any Jesus stuff. I want us to be a church that does Jesus stuff. And so as we look at this text, we're going to look at a little bit longer section of Scripture. We're going to look at a little longer section of Scripture than we've looked at recently. Um, And what I need you to see is that this isn't three separate ideas. These aren't three separate little sermons. They're not a shotgun blast of ideas. But three big ideas that are going to layer over each other. That are going to to be like a Venn diagram that overlap to get to this bigger idea of God's rest. And we're going to see that we need to hear the voice of the Spirit as we talked about it last week. We need to believe God and what he said about himself and has done in the world through his son, Jesus Christ. And then we rest. And that's our starting point for the whole of Christian living, is resting in what he did on that cross on our behalf for his glory and for our joy. 
Okay, let's start right here. Uh, chapter 3, starting verse 15. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Picking up where we left off last week, we talked about hard-heartedness. At the core of hard-heartedness is saying that you don't need Jesus. Is not having a soft heart for your need for God. It's either because you're, you've got your life all together, you're a very religious person, you do good things, and so you don't really need the cross, you don't really need forgiveness, you don't really need help, or Jesus isn't really that serious about anything that he's actually said, and I can just do whatever I want to do, and it's okay, and Jesus is kind of like my roommate who's just sort of like cool with what I do, but sort of annoyed when I leave some dishes in the sink uh, kind of Jesus, that you don't really need the cross because you know, all that stuff, all those warnings, all the things that, that Jesus says not to do to other people, that's so first century Palestine. It doesn't really mean now. And at the core, you say, Jesus, I don't really need you. I don't really need your cross. And, and we grow hard-hearted and we grow dim to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we talked about the voice of the Holy Spirit, we believe that the Holy Spirit speaks, that God speaks in many times in many ways. That's how the book of Hebrews starts. But what we're specifically talking about here and next week and into talking about Jesus as our high priest is the clearest way for us as the church that the Holy Spirit has spoken to us. And that's the Word of God. The Bible is God's written record. It is God's voice. It is the voice of the Holy Spirit to us. That we can open it and hear. Man, He speaks. In many times, in many ways, He spoke. You want to talk to God. You open your Bible and you listen to what He has to say. And you don't just read this book. You let this book read you. Now, what I think is amazing, he keeps coming back to this idea today. Today, if you hear his voice. Not tomorrow, if you hear his voice. Uh, not next week, when you sort of get your life cleaned up so that you can come to church in a respectable manner. Um, not later, not next week, not next year. Not when you get married and start having kids. Today, if you hear his voice. Whose voice? The voice of the God of the universe who is speaking to you. The voice of the God of the universe is speaking to you right now. How do I know that? Because I've got the Bible open and I'm reading it to you. Right? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. It's quoting Psalm 95, which we're going to look at extensively again one more time this week. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Okay, who is Hebrews written to? Who is Hebrews written to? It's written to a group of uh, Jewish folks who have seen that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one they were waiting for. He is who he says he is. And they enter into the reality of the gospel. They enter into the reality of the cross. They enter into the reality that Jesus paid the price for all their sins. And there's nothing they can do to earn his love. And that the way we know God is only through Jesus, through Jesus. And that they... That even if you're not a Christian here and you're with us today, you need to know that this is the truth. That Jesus is God himself who's paid the price for your sins so that you can know God. So you don't need accoutrement to know God. You need Jesus to know God. Now, these folks, in the midst of uh, persecution and trial, are kind of looking back on the old way they did things. They're looking back on the temple and the sacrifices and, uh, and all the different stuff that's in the Old Testament. And they're kind of missing some of the crunchier elements of their walk, and they're like, yeah, Jesus is cool, but it's kind of hard to wrap my mind around. But the temple, the temple had some stuff in it that I could really sink my teeth into. Yeah, the Bible, it says some stuff, but aren't those just, I, this other, and I'm, I mean, we're, God made you with a body. I don't know if you know this, but you're made with a body. And uh, 
God's not the Gnostic God of just spirit. Like, we do stuff, right? We're going to get up in a few minutes and we'll take communion. That's a physical thing. He's given us a physical body so we can stand up and we can worship and he's given us vocal cords to sing and he's given us these very real things. So he has given us stuff to grab onto, but there's some stuff that we can't grab onto. Some stuff that's hard for us to believe sometimes. Sometimes stuff that's hard for us to see sometimes. We miss the fact that this is God's voice, that this isn't just a book. This is the voice of the Holy Spirit. This is what he said to us. This is God's self-disclosure to us. And sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our mind around that truth. And he's, he's urging these people, hey, don't forget what Jesus has done. So remember who he's writing to. He's writing to these guys like, oh, the temple's pretty cool. And honestly, if you were there, you would have looked at it and said, yeah, that thing's pretty cool. But it's not cooler than Jesus. Cool? That's the wrong word for the temple, by the way. Amazing, like huge, big... But Jesus is here, and he's better than all that other stuff. Jesus is more than any of those things ever had to offer. So here they are, and this is what he says to them. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Rhetorical question. Who was it that heard and yet rebelled? He answers it with another question. Was it not all those who left Egypt, Egypt left by, led by Moses? How did they get out of Egypt? It wasn't by their passports. The God of the universe saved his remnant people. He crushed a superpower and led them across the Red Sea on dry land. That's how they left Egypt. Those guys who saw what? That. You want to talk crunchy. You want to talk tangible. You want to talk something you can sink your teeth into. Walking across the Red Sea on dry land is something you can sink your teeth into. We have to be careful. I believe God speaks. I believe God moves. But sometimes we can have this mentality, if he would just do something, I'd believe him. If he just talked to me, then I'd believe him. If he just do a miracle, then I'd believe him. There's a classic story of a, of a British apologist who was talking with a British atheist guy. And he said, what would it have to, to the atheist gentleman, he said, what would, it have to, what would it have to happen today for you to become a Christian? And he said, I'd need Jesus to come down out of heaven and fly do some loop-de-loops and fly through a ring of fire, and then I would believe. And the apologist said, well, I'm glad he didn't do that. Why are you glad that he didn't do that? Then I'd be on your team. I'd be in the family. I'd be a Christian. And he said, friend, because if you did that, if that happened, then you're God, not him. He's not going to do your little circus tricks. He's Jesus. He's God. And so we can sometimes have this sense, if we just saw something. But here's the thing, friends. These people saw some things. He'll continue. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter their rest because of unbelief. This is the linchpin for this whole section. They were unable to enter their rest because of unbelief. They were unable to enter the promised land that God had made for them because of their unbelief. Now, when I hear the word unbelief, I don't necessarily apply it to people who are walking around in the God, with God in the desert for 40 years. That's not usually who I apply unbelief to. Go with me to uh, Numbers 9. What are they doing in the desert? Numbers 9 is one of my favorite, and how, that's how you know I'm a real Bible nerd, is one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. Numbers 9 and 15 says this. 
I'll just read a little bit so you get a sense of what we're talking about here. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle. The cloud is a giant pillar of smoke over the tabernacle, over the the Ark of the Covenant that holds the Ten Commandments that God wrote on. The Ten Commandments that Moses received from God are in this box that they have. It's crunchy, it's tangible, it's there. And there's a pillar of smoke going on up. And at evening, it went over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. Wait, wait, wait. It's not just smoke, it's pyrotechnics. I mean, you could say, well, you know, they put some incense in there and it made this thing happen, it was cool. But when you talk about a giant pillar of fire, we are getting into like Metallica kind of stage antics that is beyond the capabilities of these folks, right? A giant pillar of fire, okay. Like appearance until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And what of the cloud lifted from over the tent? Uh, after that, the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people camped. This is something I pray for myself, that I would follow Jesus that way. <laughs> that I would listen to his word and I'd believe what he said. And I'd follow him in such a way that like, the smoke gets up, it goes, it moves, they stop. Jesus is moving it this way, we stop, we follow Jesus. Jesus is moving this way, we stop, we follow Jesus. We don't get out ahead of him, we don't do our own thing, but only if we had the pillar of smoke, right? If only we could just have that, that thing. We don't have that thing, we have the Holy Spirit, we have his word, which I think we'll see in a minute is actually more than what they had. The author of Hebrews wants to know that Jesus actually offered them more than the pillar of smoke, not less than. So here's the scary verse then. Hebrews has some scary verses. I don't know if I told you that when we started into this book, but there's some scary stuff in here. For we have come to share in Christ. Oh, that's last week. I lost my glasses this morning. Who needs them, right? Um, So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. These aren't atheists. Right? Right? These are not atheists. They see him. They were unable to enter the rest because they didn't believe God and who he is. And I think this is true for us. This is probably true for me, and this is probably true for you this week. There are probably places in your life where you didn't believe Jesus, and you were unable to enter into the rest that he's afforded you. The things he's already done for you on the cross. What do I mean by that? These people in the desert did not believe that God was enough. They did not believe that Jesus was enough, to put it in our own terms. Because I'm not going to use the word the uh, second, pre-incarnate second member of the Trinity, right? God. We don't believe God's enough. They didn't believe God was enough. How do I know they didn't believe God is enough? They kept looking back to Egypt saying, that stuff back there sure was cool. I mean, it's cool here with God in the desert, but... Man, in Egypt, there were cucumbers. And if you think I'm joking, read your Bible. It's right there. Hey, we had cucumbers in Egypt. You have the presence of the living God here where you're at. They don't believe God's enough. And sometimes we do this. We seek after something else. It can be little things. It can be big things. It can be like overt sin things. But then also we have to realize there's all these other sin things where like, I just want to be comfortable all I want is a couch. I will do anything to have a couch. I will do anything for a lazy boy where I can just put my feet up for five minutes. And all of a sudden, that becomes my aim. That becomes my goal. That becomes my end. Right? 
if I could only find something else, then Jesus and this other thing would be enough. Or even maybe I just disregard Jesus and the whole thing at all, and we miss that Jesus is enough. We miss that in Christ we have everything. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus, right? We have everything in Christ. He's with us. He's with us. He knows us. He loves us. He's given us all. But sometimes we don't believe that he's enough. Sometimes we believe other things are enough. Sometimes we believe the song the world is singing, and we think these other things will bring us satisfaction. These other things will bring us joy. Sometimes we don't believe Jesus is good. People in the desert didn't believe God was good. Why did you bring us out here to die? You brought us out from Egypt so we would die out here. Jesus, did you just make me a Christian so that I would lose all my friends, so no one would think I was cool anymore, so I wouldn't have any more fun, so I wouldn't get invited to any more parties? You ever been there? That was my dialogue at 22 when all of my friends said, you became a Christian? Thanks, chief. We'll see you later. Is this it? You brought me out here to lose all my friends? No, Pac. I brought you out here for more. You brought us out of the temple into Jesus so that we don't have the crunchy stuff of the temple and people don't even like us because we're Christians. This is the first century Hebrews here now that the letter's written to. I didn't bring you out for less. I brought you out for more. But we don't always believe that. and We can't always see that. We've got to see that. Because God's good. Sometimes in the midst of our suffering, it's hard to understand that he's good. And just because things are hard right now doesn't mean he's not good. I think one of the lies we're told, and I was, as I was thinking about this text so much in our culture, is that your life is supposed to be easy and you're entitled to a bunch of stuff. When your life hits suffering, when your life hits tragedy, that cultural uh, American dreamism gets really, really hard. Jesus is offering us rest because Jesus knows your life is hard. They didn't believe that God was the king. They didn't believe he was in control. They didn't believe, I don't think, in times they knew where he was taking them. You brought us out into the desert to die. You know that Jesus has orchestrated where you are at right now and it might feel like you're wandering around in the desert but Jesus is still the king and knows where you're at. He has not forgotten you. You are not lost. Uh, you, you didn't get lost in the paperwork. Right? And I'm not saying your life's not hard. Clearly. I'm just saying he hasn't lost you. And that's good news. I, I think when we can actually see that, when we're knee deep in our own problems, and we understand, okay, this is where I'm at in the universe right now, and you have not lost me. I don't know where we're going tomorrow. I'm not really sure how we got here, but you, Jesus, have not lost me. They forgot that in the desert. The first century Hebrews that this letter is written to, the heat's getting turned up. It's getting turned up on the Christians where they're at, not the Jewish folks who are still just doing temple stuff and minding their own business. Did you bring us out here? But we gave you everything, Jesus. How could this happen to me? Everything? Sounds like you're still holding on to something. Something that I think, and I think this is such a valuable thing that we sing this song. Jesus loves you. These people didn't believe that God loved them. Jesus loves you. 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If we can hang on to that reality in the midst of the trial and the tribulation and, and, and feeling like the, the desire for satisfaction or enoughness, man, Jesus loves you. I mean, there are times when I can just get up and tell you that and say, thank you, good night. Because sometimes when people remind me of that reality, it turns out that's all I actually needed to hear. But that's who he's writing to. These people, it's not that they didn't see a pillar of smoke. They just didn't believe any of those things. They didn't believe that he loved them. He didn't believe, they didn't believe he knew what he was doing. They didn't believe he was in control. They didn't believe he had their best interest in mind. They didn't believe he was enough. They didn't believe he satisfied. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe, it's not that they didn't believe of his existence. They didn't believe him. See the difference there? Jesus is inviting you into rest today. Believe these things. Hear them. They heard them. Believe them. Jesus loves you. You are his and he is yours. He has washed you clean from every wrong thing you have ever done. And he's washed you clean from the things that have been done against you. He loves you. He cares about you. He is your God and you are his people. I mean, it feels like I should say, thank you, good night. But I have a few more verses to go, so we'll keep going. Therefore... While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Let's take it seriously. When you hear this word fear in this context, in this place, uh, think the difference between if there was a kitten in the room and there was a tiger in the room. Right? You would take the tiger seriously. The kitten you would take seriously for petting, but that's about it. You're being offered this amazing thing that is the gospel reality of resting in Christ Jesus forever and ever with Him. All His work, not your work. Praise the Lord. Pay attention. Be serious. Take it serious. Because these people were wandering around the desert for 40 years and still wandered away. Think tiger, not kitten. Therefore, while the promise... Promise. That's a promise. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. It's a good promise. What I also love here is he says this phrase, at least you should seem to have failed to reach it. He knows his place. He's saying, yeah, that guy totally AWOL, totally walked away, totally wandering. But who knows if he is God's? I can tell you that it doesn't seem like he loves Jesus and it doesn't seem like he's following God. But that call is up to who? You? Me? Jesus. Right? Jesus, yes. And at the same time, he's still willing to say, and it looks like they're AWOL. It seems like their life is shipwrecked. So he's not afraid to say it. He's just saying the final call is God. For good news came to us just as to them. This word here, good news came to them. It's a fancy contraction word. There are these words in Greek that are so long, and you look at them, and you know, I have no idea what that freaking means, and now I have to look it up in a dictionary and find out. It's a word that means the gospel, the act of the gospel being preached. The gospel was preached to them. 
The good news of God was preached to them. Now, they are living in the Old Testament times. They are living in a different time. They're living before the cross. So the good news isn't Jesus saves sinners. The good news is God is coming to put everything right, to to do mighty things. And even we see in Jeremiah 31, and God is going to come and he's going to do mighty things and and he's going to change the arrangement. It's no longer going to be, I will be your God and you will be my people. If you walk in my ways, it'll be, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will cause you to walk in my ways. The day is coming. But they believed God in all of his glory. They believed in what he said. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that's good news, right? I will be your God and you will be my people. The God of the universe wants me to be his people. That's good news. And there's someone who's going to come and he's going to do this big thing and it's going to be awesome. And you'll see and it'll be cool. Cool again. It'll be amazing and glorious and wonderful and beautiful, the thing that's coming. Look for it. It's coming. What do you say? For good news came to them, came to us just as to them. You've heard the gospel good news. Jesus saved sinners from death to life. If you're here and you don't know him, this is the good news. God is real. His name is Jesus. He saves people like us and like you. And we know, we know what it's like to be you because we were you and he saved us and gave us life. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Hear and believe. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Do you know this story? Do you know how many people listened? Like two. That's why everyone's named Caleb and Joshua because they listened. And no one names their kids after the people who didn't listen. Do you know any of their names? They're in the Bible. You don't because no one names their kids those names. Because what happened? They didn't believe he knew what he was doing. What happened? They come to the edge of the promised land. The prom- I said, God, when God says, I'm going to give you this, right? When I say to my kids, yeah, I'll try and get you that castle Lego thing for Christmas, but I'm not doing the cabbage patch thing at the toy store. We'll see what happens, right? Maybe I'm dating myself here. It was mayhem, Right? I'm not going to war for the Lego castle stuff, but if we can get it and we can afford it, great. That's not how God works. When he says, I'm going to give you that land, you say, it's good as ours. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Good is done. The promises of God are promises that are so durable and so reliable, and you can stand on those promises. Right? That's why as humans we have to make caveats. I will try and do my best too, but I'm only human. Good thing he's not. So they come to the edge of the promised land. They send spies in. They come back for the report. And most of the spies say, they're really tall. I used this reference last week. You may have looked it up. It can't really be that they just said they're really tall. And if you looked it up, you realize, yep, that's the whole thing. They're really tall. Cucumbers and tall guys. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. What did Joshua say? What did Caleb say? You know who God is, right? Did you guys, they get really angry. They tear their clothes, which is cool. Testimony said they were really, really, really upset. Did you see what he did to Egypt? They're tall. And I think, I think they also know, you know what happens when you tell God he can't do stuff? You end up wandering around in the desert for 40 years. Guys, This is not going to go well for us. There aren't really good options between the promised land and 
I guess, wandering around in the desert for 40 years. Those are our options. I also wonder when they say, we should, have gone, we should go back to Egypt, what kind of reception they thought they would have received when they returned, if they were able to get across the Red Sea and get back. But that's, that's for another time. For we who have believed enter that rest. Listen to the words, okay? Listen. This is part of reading your Bible slow enough to hear what God's saying to you. Just think present tense, past tense, future tense. Is this something that's going to happen, something that has happened, or is happening? For we who have believed enter that rest. We're going to enter the rest. Rest to be entered. It'll become clear in a second here. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They didn't believe him. They don't enter the rest. We spent a lot of time on that passage last week. You can go back and listen to it. I would love to unpack that more, but I did that last week. And we have computers. Um, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. That somewhere is Genesis 2, verse 2. And again in the passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. They shall not enter my rest. Go with me back to Psalm 95 so we can look at the context. Because he wants us to think about Psalm 95, where he's quoting. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the Lord, rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. Wait a second. Are we talking about some creation-y type things? Perhaps like is talked about in Genesis 1 and 2 a little bit? Perhaps. The sea is his, for he made it. Yep, definitely. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are his people, the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Doesn't that sound kind of like rest language? I don't spend a lot of time in pastures, but I know when I'm in a pasture, which is rare, (laughs) and the air is fresh, and the wind's kind of calm, and I've left my telephone in my car so I'm not getting emails in a field, thanks to the satellites. You ever been in that spot? We live in Washington. It's like 15 minutes away. I would really encourage you to do that. Go to the islands. Go to the the fields. Go to a U-Pick farm. There's work there, but, you know, Go. You don't have to. I'm not telling you you have to, but I'm just saying. Something feels right in my soul in that moment. Something feels right in the body that God's made, in the heart that he's made in me, when everything just slows down for a minute. For he is our God, and we are his pe- the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today have you hear his voice, not harden your hearts. Remember? There we are again. There's our verse. So he's tying these two things together. The, the, the fact that God has rested and that he made stuff. right? Because why is God resting? We won't vote, 
But do you think it's because he's tired? Is the God of the universe tired? That's why he has to rest on the seventh day. It's not because he's tired. Because what does it say? Um, For he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work. And again, the passage said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter. We'll hang on for there for a second. Okay. So it's not that he's tired. Right? But he does create this demarcation from his work. This pause. This breath. Did God need to? No, he's God. I think this is even why Jesus says things like, Sabbath's not made for God. But God made the Sabbath for man. Right? Because he doesn't need to take a five-minute break. Oh, you know, all these world crises. I just got to sit down and have a cup of coffee and just take a breather. Doesn't need it. Right? He's not tired. It's not because he's tired. But what do we know about rest from this? Whose idea is rest? Whose idea is the pause? Whose idea is the breath? Whose idea is it to make the field so that we could even have the word picture to talk about breathing deep and taking in the deep things of God? Rest is God's idea. And the Bible says subversive things in our 24-7, uh, I have to go to the grocery store at 3 in the morning culture. Um, Exodus 31:17 talks about that day that he spent, and God was refreshed on that day. I'm not even 100% sure what it means for God to be refreshed because he's not tired, but I think it does have this sense of this pause and this, this taking a breath. Deuteronomy 5:15 links rest with freedom which will be really important in a second as we talk. That to rest, to be a people who can rest, only free people rest. It's for free people. And if we enter into God's rest, we're free people. Um, Deuteronomy 33 talks about it in terms of safety. That we get to rest. And we get to rest because we're safe. Because guess what? When the enemies are banging on the doors, you don't get to take a day off. Right? Sorry, guys, we need a cappuccino. If we could keep going in five minutes, that would be great. Feeling a little tired. Uh, sharpen my sword. Um, Isaiah 30 links it with salvation. I think one of the clearest ideas of rest and freedom come from Matthew 6. He says, hey, this is the complete remix. But hey, look at the trees. Who feeds the trees? Who feeds the birds? Who feeds the plants? Who feeds the flowers? Who makes the sun come up? Who makes the sun? Who's in charge of everything? God is. Rest. You being worried and trying to take control of your job or your life does nothing for you because you're not actually even the king of your life. Rest. Because guess what? In that kind of rest, is there not freedom? You you can't make your friends Christians. You can't make your kids Christians. Uh, You can't make the sun up, come up, or go down. If you're a farmer, which none of us are, but here we are, you're like, oh, I really hope it rains tomorrow. Is you staying up, thinking about it raining tomorrow, going to make it rain tomorrow? No. I could really use this. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Rest. Rest in the fact that He's the King of everything. They kept saying things like, what are we going to eat? And we need some meat and there are no cucumbers. And they keep like forgetting the fact that God's making it basically snow food. You know, I'm not even sure what the right verb is here, but God's doing something and they keep waking up and there's food. They have it. They're taken care of. He's got it. 
we need to see this is ultimately found in Jesus. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Here's the rest. Come on in. No thanks, Jesus. I'm cool. Right? That's hard-heartedness, right? I don't need Jesus. I will pay the price for your sins. I've got it taken care of. I will tell you how to live, how to walk in my ways. I will empower you to walk in my ways. I'm cool, Jesus. I don't need you. I've got an alarm clock to get up to read my Bible. I'm all right here. Oh, feeding the poor? No, I don't need your help there. The Spirit moves in our lives as the church to do all those things, to help people, to love people, to serve people, to take care of people, to worship. The Spirit's on the move. We need Jesus in all of these things. To do Jesus stuff, you need Jesus. You can do a lot of things, friends, without Jesus. You can get up, you can go to work, you can come home, you can go to bed, you can get married, you can have kids, you can make a fortune, you can lose a fortune. You can do a lot of things without Jesus, but without Jesus, you can't do any of Jesus' stuff. You can do a lot of things without him. You can't do any of his stuff without him. Again, he appoints a certain day today. How much hope does he have for this people? Hey, guys, today, I'm writing you this letter so you'll put it down and you'll stop. I'm writing this letter so you'll put it down and you'll rest. I'm writing you this letter so you'll just get back on track. Not so I'll write you a letter in a year from now and say, hey, remember how I got you back on track? He just wants them on track. He just wants them following Jesus. He wants them after Jesus. That's it. Today. Today. If you're not resting in Jesus, if you're a Christian, you know him and you love him and you're trying to do everything out of your own strength, today. Hear. Believe. Rest. Today. Not tomorrow. I know you've got the project to do, but your kids need you today. Rest. I know you've got stuff going on. You need Jesus today. Rest in what he's done. I know. We live in a culture where you can go to the grocery store and buy potato chips at 4.35 in the morning. The pressure is on to keep moving. Stop sometimes. Going to bed... I know, there's long seasons where you're up a lot. I'm in one right now. You're up a lot. And then somehow the kids have done the thing where they're then up. As soon as you go to bed, then they wake up, and then you're up all night. You find rest in Jesus in different ways, right? But when we put our head on the pillow, what does it acknowledge? I can't stay up. My staying up's not going to make it rain. My staying up's not going to do anything. And while I'm sleeping... Your, so- your sovereign hand will hold me up as I rest my head on this pillow and sleep. Because you're God and I'm not. I'm going to enter your rest. Um, again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, it's so long afterward, and the words already quoted. I know I'm saying it a lot, guys, but here we go again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have spoken of another day later on. Joshua. What's Joshua's name? Or maybe a better question is, what's Jesus' name? In the Greek, what's the name here? Iesus. What's Jesus' name in the Greek? Iesus. The translators of the ESV, if that's what you're in, have taken the context and know, oh, we're talking about Joshua here. We're talking about Caleb's buddy Joshua, Moses' assistant Joshua. So we're going to translate this Joshua so it's clear, but it is the word Jesus, friends. Now, Joshua was a kind, a type, a pointer, a, a, a kind of a pattern that we can look to to see Jesus. And he brought people into a rest. He did bring them into a rest. But the thing is, is in that rest, what happened? 
They still rebelled against God, and there were still enemies, and there was still famine, and there were still problems, and there was just still life, and there was just still a broken world in that rest. But Jesus has come to enter us into a bigger, better, mightier rest. Because if that was enough, he wouldn't have, that would have been it, right? Close the canon at Joshua, and then you'd be like, but then we don't get Ecclesiastes, and that book's amazing. We don't get Jesus either. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. This is the beginning. It's coming to fullness in Jesus. Jesus is the one who's bringing rest. Jesus is the one who will do it. Let us therefore... Oh, pardon me. Uh, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's still out there. And I don't sing any U2 here. I'll stop myself there. It's hard sometimes. Uh, For whoever has entered God's rest. Listen to that word. Okay, here we go. Remember I said past tense, future tense, present tense, and then you're like, I failed English, and I say, me too. We had a portable and a teacher, and he didn't want to do sentence diagramming, and we didn't want to do sentence diagramming. So we pretty much just popped off and made jokes, and then he was the tennis coach. Um, (laughs) Which is all very, just so true. It's... I won't say his name, but needless to say, I can't diagram a sentence very well. Um, got a good grade in the class. Um, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For who has entered? If you're in Christ, it's still coming to fruition. It's still bubbling. It's still boiling. He hasn't wiped away every tear from every eye yet. There are parts of it that are coming. But if you're in Christ, you've entered the rest. Whoever has entered God's rest also rested from his works as God did from his past tense. Rested. If you've entered the rest, you've rested. You've rested from your works. What works? Well, all the right things for the wrong reasons, sins trying to earn God's love, trying to climb up the ladder to get to God, trying to build your Tower of Babylon to get up on there, the Tower of Babel to get on up there, and you've rested from your keg stands and you're wiling out and you're whatever. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. How is that possible? Sometimes this world doesn't feel all that restful. But you need to know that he said something from his cross. He said, it is finished. Everything that needs to happen for us to rest has happened. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love. There's nothing you can do to become a Christian. You need to be saved. He reaches down and saves you and pulls you into the rest. The rest of the cross, the rest of the blood, the rest of Jesus Christ. Jesus saves you from yourself so you can stop trying to earn his love. He doesn't need you to do things like someone who's uh, uh, just desperately trying. Jesus, if you just like what I do. Because if you're in Christ, guess what? As much as in our own strength, there's nothing we can do to please him, but in Christ. And I think sometimes we stop there. We're like, oh, geez, there's nothing. All my works are, are filthy rags. There's nothing I can do to make him happy. Yeah, apart from him. Apart from him. Those, those rags that Isaiah are talking about are dead works. The things we do to earn God's love, the things we do to impress people. That, yeah, that doesn't make God happy ever. 
You're God. Look what I built you. I'm your peer. I'm great. I'm amazing. He's not impressed. Because he's offering something because that's not rest. There's no rest in there when you're trying to earn his love. The rest is resting in the completed work of Jesus Christ, our high priest who came to save us from ourselves. So that there's nothing you can do to earn it. Because when did it happen? What are you talking about Genesis 2? At the foundation of the earth? He called you unto himself before the foundations of the earth. Before you were even made, he put your name in the book if you're his. That's how little you can do to earn his love that he called you before you were born. What did you do before you were born? Nothing. I wasn't watching Star Wars. I wasn't writing dissertations. I did nothing before I was born because I didn't even exist. But God had me called out before the foundations of the earth. That's how much you can do. And if that is true... If that is true, how much can you rest in what that man did, what that God did on that cross on your behalf all those years ago? There remains a Sabbath rest in the now. Now, the not yet is that we also trust that we have a Sabbath rest coming where he wipes every tear from every eye, where he restores this world the way it's supposed to be, and he saves so here's the, the, like, the, the Christian discipleship question. So, if Jesus has done everything, this is where you ask the question, well, now what do I do? Give me something. I just want something to do. Give me something to do. Because it sounds like Jesus has done it all. That's why we sing. I won't sing it, but Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Because he did it all. So what do I do then with the rest of my life? What do I do as a Christian then? Here's what I believe. And here's what I hope you see. That if through that cross he's done it all for you to rest, trust, be in his embrace, and be in his ways, and be his. There's that song we sing sometimes, which is just a great song, and the line of the song goes, Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? I think that is the sentiment. If I've entered his rest, yeah, like I said earlier, I love talking about what is it for us to one another and take care of each other and love each other and have a vision and a prayer life for the city to, to see people saved. What does it look like to get after our neighbors and to cross the street and make them cookies and tell them about Jesus and love people and serve people and wash their feet and get diapers for the, the folks up the street because they need them. And what does it look like to do all that? Now, if we're doing all of those things so God will look at those things and give us a gold star, is that not exhausting? If you're trying to love and serve and fight sin and live so that he will give you a gold star, it will wear you out. But if you believe that he has made a rest from you, how can I keep from singing? If you catch a vision for this in your life, if you put this on the fire of worship in your heart and you understand you can't add and you can't earn, and he's not your peer. My little girl, Fiola, my little girl, Fiola, is the slapjack wizard. She is my peer. I cut her no... She in kids' ministry. She's in kids' ministry. I cut her no breaks. She is so fast and beats me every time. Boom! It's a game where you lay out cards and you hit the thing. She's three, and she beats me and beats me and beats me. She is my peer at slapjack. She might even be better than me, and I cut her no breaks. When my children bring me art, do I critique them as a peer? Well, I'm a bad artist, but... Do I critique them like an art critic? Oh, kid, my son's in a writing, he's into hip-hop, and he's writing drum beats in his bed with his mouth. You know, I'm like, well, you know, if that was in a 4-4 timing, kid, you would really, that could be something. I'm just stoked he's in there, like, trying to rhyme. He's in there, like, uh, school, pool, 
What are you doing? Writing rhymes. I guess that's how five-year-old writes rhymes. You're rhyming. Cool. Do I critique him and say, well, you know, I think Jay-Z would have done that differently, kid. And you say, who's that? No. You can't add to anything he's done. What is God that he needs? What you made? By human hands. It doesn't mean he doesn't care about the things that you've done. Because when my kid brings me beats, I'm stoked. It's my retirement plan. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm just stoked to see God work in him in creative ways, and I'm so excited. And when God sees you empowered by the Spirit, he doesn't, if you're in your room by yourself singing songs to him, that's a fragrant offering. He doesn't judge. He doesn't look at you, I think if you sang in a C sharp, that would be better. I don't even know what a C sharp is. He wouldn't be a good dad if that's how God operated. We're covered by the blood of his son, so we can't add to it and we can't earn to it. And so we're not his peer. We're not playing slapjack with him. We're just bringing him art. Right? Bringing him art because we love him. Because when you get a sense of the fact that, that he's done it all and he's completed it all and you're paid for and you're forgiven and how amazingly loved you are and the rest you can enter into, how can I keep from singing? How can I keep from serving? How can I keep from loving? How can I keep from making cookies to tell my neighbor? By the way, Jesus will give you rest and freedom. He'll bring you into, you into his promised land. It will be amazing and mighty and glorious and he'll pay the price from your sins and he'll give you life. How can I keep from doing that? How can I keep from getting up here and preaching and telling you that Jesus is good? How can I keep from getting up here and telling you he's worth your whole life? He's worth it all. There's joy out there in him. How can I keep from doing that if I believe anything about what I believe in this book? So the rest, first of all, rest. Hear it. Believe it. The first thing you get to do as a Christian is rest. It's not time to get to work. It's time to rest in what that man, that God, Jesus Christ, did on the cross for your sins. We get to respond to that, but it's all a grace-based response what he did. And when you actually believe it, man, get out of your way. We're a church full of people who believe the Bible. Get out of our way. Because we've got people to love and God to worship. If you don't know him, today is the day. Well, today is today. Turn from your sin, turn to him, and rest in him and what he's done. And sing with us. Because he's writing an amazing song. I love you guys. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll go. Jesus, I do thank you. Jesus, you're king of heaven and earth. How can we keep from singing? How can we keep from praising? How can we keep from celebrating that there's nothing we can do to earn your love? That all the things the world have to, has to offer us are not for us. That the things you have to offer us and even the way we can appreciate your creation comes through you. Let us rest, Jesus. You've paid it all and all to you we owe. And yet we can never ever pay you back. We love you, Jesus. And pray these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.